Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. Help coping with infidelity is our topic today. Believe it or not, there is a whole lot of cheating going on. Pretty serious topic. Stats are all over the map, as you can imagine, as most would not wish to admit to such a deceitful scandal. That's why I'm not going to try to give you exact numbers. I've looked at research indicating anywhere from 25 to 50% of men and 15 to 34% of women wear the red A of adultery. And in general, affairs can last two years with over half involving friends or co-workers. But again, that's... That's broad, very broad input, because certainly there are one-night stands out there. We all know about that. Sometimes you could just meet a stranger and have an affair. It doesn't have to be a friend or someone you know. But let's progress, because that's not what it's about. It's about what does recovery from infidelity mean? look like. Catherine Aponte, a former clinical psychologist who had a practice of psychology for over 30 years, working primarily with couples, and in retirement continues to advise couples through her book, A Marriage of Equals, is here today. Catherine did graduate work in clinical psychology at Duke University, and her husband, also a psychologist, served on the faculty at UNC. Catherine is here today to offer some advice. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Mary. I'm so uh, pleased to be with you today to talk about some important things about marriage and infidelity. Well, let's get right to it. What are the first signs a partner is cheating? Well, I think the very first thing is a little bit difficult because it's just a gut feeling. It's usually an intuition that something is not right, uh, maybe related to some small incident that doesn't fit. Uh, for example, a wife starts buying some new clothing and doesn't really have much of an explanation for why. Uh, a husband, or uh, I'm being a little stereotypical here, but a husband may work late at uh, night, several nights, or on a continuing basis, and not really offer a good explanation. Even a small evidence, uh, one uh, report that I read was a uh, husband and wife together going to another couple's house that they're friends with to have dinner, and for the very first time ever in the relationship, the husband reached out and kissed the wife on the cheek. Whoa. He never has done that before. And uh, it later, when it was found out, he it, it was not related to he wasn't having an affair with her, but he was just feeling better about the fact that he was having an affair and was more expansive. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, and, and then with this intuition and gut feeling, people cannot act on that because it's too ephemeral. It's too uh, insecure in the sense of knowing what is actually going on. And then part of the difficulty may be that you move into a rationalization or a denial of what you think may be going on. He wouldn't be having an affair. She wouldn't be having an affair. She's a devoted mother, for heaven's sake. She would not have an affair. Or maybe the man or the husband is, uh, uh, or either one of them, have a strong relig religious conviction. Uh, they, they would not have an affair. Uh, and, and over time, of course, the suspicions continue to build and break through the denial. And at some point, you'll start thinking about talking about it and, and uh, people talk about it confronting. I don't even know that it's confronting, just talking about it or raising it as an issue. When you do that, I think people really have to get help in sorting that through. And because one of the things you'll have to ask yourself is, do you really want to know? Mm -hmm. And then and then the other thing that you're going to have to begin to sort out is, do you want to stay or do you want to go? Uh, one example that I always ask couples coming in or, uh, yeah, couples coming in or the person who is had, uh, not the uh, the person who has committed the uh, affair, the cheating, but the person who has been cheated on, you know, is this a deal breaker? I mean, is this something that you cannot, in fact, get over for whatever reasons, religious, etc.? So you have to begin to think about those dis those uh, issues and then you can you got to get help. You got to get help with confronting because uh, you're not going to be in any position mentally and psychologically to do necessarily do a good job of it. You really want to do a good job of of confronting because it's it's a very insecure thing to do because the person could deny it. Mm -hmm. So I think the thing to do is to be sure that you get some help uh, before you make that choice. And it's, and it's a very difficult choice to to make. Right. So it it's it's sounds like there is a choice though that a marriage or relationship could possibly be saved if infidelity is is involved especially if you really yes. want to make it that work. is sort of my specialty i mean once i get past that question i'm really interested in and what do i need to do to help these people stay together what role does age education society these kind of things play in in this that you know, I know some people cheat, they say from boredom, lack of attention, someone's more attractive, but what about education, age, society? Well, I guess I would like to come at this just slightly different. I'd like to talk for a minute about why people cheat. Then I'd like to talk about, uh, related to some of the questions that you were asking, but how society contributes to affairs uh, rather than just statistics about the social, the age, and so forth. Um, if that does that suit? Mm -hmm. Yes, okay. that's fine. Okay. Uh, oftentimes, I think that one of the issues that uh, people deal with, and I deal with working with people, is uh, most people and professionals attribute cheating to some aspect of the relationship, and it's a very tricky thing in uh, working with people if you operate from that position because it really puts the responsibility on the person who has been cheated upon but in an unnecessarily way. Now, I think that uh, a recent study of some 500 men and women who uh, were asked why they cheat, this is a 2017 study, so relatively recent, 
And these are just a few of the items. Frustration when the partner doesn't seem to understand your needs, falling out of love, commitment issues, unmet needs, sexual desire, wanting a variety, sexual variety. You know, and this this viewpoint that that points at issues in the relationship seems to me to point the finger at uh, the partner, particularly particularly women will accept this responsibility. They're very vulnerable to thinking that in some way they're not enough. Otherwise, their husband wouldn't have cheated. So I work hard, and, and it makes the recovery part very tricky because there may be relationship problems, but I do not buy into the idea that that's what causes people to cheat, that that's the reason why. Um, I prefer to point the finger at the person who is cheating. In a sense, I see it as a, a choice that people are making, but it's due to, it's not like a, a well-informed choice. It's due to some kind of personal limitation they have, perhaps some character or personality trait, or some uh, almost conscious choice, but having to do with just the, whatever the situational factors are that make it easy to do it. So kind of three things, maybe some personal limitation or defensiveness. Like, for example, uh, if you have unmet, supposing you feel like you have unmet met needs in the relationship, you start feeling uh, resentful about that not happy, blaming the other person, and that justifies what I consider to be bad behavior. And it's bad behavior because you have agreed not to do that. Not necessarily, I'm not taking a moral position on that. I'm taking a position on that's not the contract that you have with your spouse. Um, so, and, and I think for a minute, I'm just gonna talk a little bit more about sp these special, these kinds of limitations, personal limitations that may have, you know, I think men sort of generally in our society, although I think this is changing somewhat, are not terribly self-reflective about what their motives are or what their concerns are or what's going on with them. They're more a little more reactive um, and will then sort of act out whatever is their unhappiness is about. Uh, so it, it kind of limits their ability to address what they need to address if it is a relationship problem or it is the availability of a situational situation where they work around a lot of attractive women, for example. Um, women, I think their personal limitation may be not having the confidence to confront their spouses, you know, that they'll be listened to or that they're important enough. Again, I think some of these are changing, but I still think there are these personal limitations or personal emotional inadequacies these people have that make them vulnerable to be reactive and to not be comfortable addressing whatever the relationship problems are. I also think that people can have personality issues um, in which they uh, are impaired and they just really are not aware of and or don't care about the impact that they have in other people. Well, um, let me I, let me stop you there because I want to get uh, to, uh, we have time maybe for two more of these areas I want to cover, but certainly our listeners can see there's a lot to explore when it comes to 
the why involved in this. Yes, there um, is. And again, I think you do that in the context of either your individual work in therapy or your couple's work in therapy. And I know you you want to reference some therapy here when we talk about the process of recovery, so many steps. I think that in, when, when I work with people, this is what I uh, address. First of all, them when the affair becomes known. I'm going to go over these quickly and then highlight some issues in each phase. The transition period, the resolution period, and the development of a new relationship period. Uh, and the affair becomes known, that's this whole business of your personal reaction, a personal sense of betrayal that you have to deal with. Uh, because it, from my perspective, and I think differently about this than many people do, I don't see it as a personal betrayal. I see cheating as a betrayal of the relationship. And I think many people, when I work with people, I work hard to help them understand that other people's bad behavior does not reflect on them. So it's not, uh, it, it, it is a real betrayal of the relationship. So don't take it personally. Um, the transition period, really, you have to establish such things as no contact. These are the kind of the rules and regulations of beginning the process of getting together. No contact with the affair person, transparency of all activities, and a full discussion of the affair. Um, then you can begin the resolution given this. What is your understanding of the affair? Have you, uh, have, have you resolved what the affair means to you? What's the risk of you taking, reinvolving yourself with a partner? And then can you commit to a new relationship? And a new relationship is uh, one where, first of all, you have to begin by taking a look at infidelity and redefining what that means. And uh, there are some ways that you can do that that are very important. You have to, you have to make a uh, you have to negotiate that together. And actually, you end up having to renegotiate that, that over time. It's not a static thing. Uh, uh, monogamy and infidelity is, is not just that assumed state any longer. You have to really think about that and negotiate that. And you have to uh, value each of yourselves as, uh, as uh, individuals. One of the kinds of things that makes people susceptible to Cheating is having a very stereotypical uh, marriage relationship where uh, you live in different silos of experience and you don't treat each other as individuals. You treat each other as part of the uh, more in tune with your functions, your gender functions in the relationship. Um, and you have to be willing to address and negotiate issues in a different way. So in a sense, what you're doing is you're really recreating a whole new relationship, which really is based on uh, what people tend to call good communication, which I think is a little too limited world, but you have to pay attention to the interpersonal processes that go on in between you, and you have to be willing to negotiate, talk about negotiate every kind of issue that comes up, every disagreement you have. And you have to have a new understanding of what conflict is. Uh, which means you have to be much more aware of who you are as an individual, what your own psychology is, what your vulnerabilities and insecurities are, so that you do not react to your spouse, 
but interact with them in a different way. I've said an awful lot yeah. <laughs> and in we, a few minutes. <laughs> and we appreciate it. I know it's tough. We could go on and on. But I, I hope know. that our listeners have gleaned a lot of info and help from this. And uh, to that point, Catherine is going to be joining us for a series coming up on different things to do with relationships. Things today we talked about infidelity. Another time we may talk about how to have a stronger marriage. Uh, anything to do uh, relation, marriage, couples advice kind of thing. So she will be uh, guesting with us several times coming up in the future. And I'm so sorry we're out of time today because we could go on and on. But I will have to say <laughs> goodbye and thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you, Mary. I was very happy to have the opportunity. And now it's time to high five and say goodbye. That one went really quick. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, be compassionate.